last week I had left off uh, with the last with the um, last couple of emperors that that I was uh, talking about, and I wanted to finish off with I think it was just three emperors that I, I that I didn't get to last week. And the only reason I wanted to discuss them is because they had such a huge influence on the church. Uh, it was a negative influence. They they had they did a lot of harm towards the church. So that's the only reason I really want to go through them real quick. And I wanted to get into a couple of the false teachings that existed in the early church. Um, hopefully with, within time, uh, if it's okay with Jay, I'd like to get into some of the early theologians and what they, what they really taught. Uh, but before we get into that, like I said, I wanted to discuss some of these uh, false teachings, these heresies that existed. Uh, and I'm only going to go through about three of them because uh, one of them is really... It's, it, it can be a little profound and kind of hard to, to follow along, but I just wanted to go through uh, these two or three last emperors and get into these uh, these false teachings. And uh, and like I said, if you guys have any questions or comments, um, uh, you guys are are, are definitely um, uh, willing to, to to speak up. So that would definitely uh, help out. So um, uh, I just kind of wanted to just just to recap a little bit what we discussed last time. I know we went through. Uh, the church organization, we talked about a couple of the offices, and uh, <clears throat> like I made mention, by the second century, there was a threefold office of the church. You had the uh, deacons, you had the presbytery, and then you had the bishop. And that kind of continues on uh, after the third century. Uh, you had the main bishop, who was the leader of the church, and he's the one that, um, during the worship service, would, would read scripture and kind of expound it, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. And he was the, the, the main leader of the church who would also deal with a lot of these heresies. So he's definitely something that, we, um, that you kind of want to keep in mind when dealing with these, with these false teachings. Uh, it was the responsibility of the, of the bishop uh, to kind of speak up against these heresies and, and, uh, and guide the church on whether or not this is biblical or this is unbiblical. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and following that, we kind of discussed a little bit of the uh, early church uh, livings that, that there were, a lot of the customs, uh, the worship, which was um, reading a scripture, the sermon, a prayer, and then singing at the end of it. We discussed a little bit about the, uh, the Eucharist and uh, the kiss of peace and also the uh, agape meal, which is the love feast. And because of those, uh, because of those uh, lifestyles, those teachings, it was that there was an, a misunderstanding of the Roman emperors that the persecution started. And uh, just to kind of recap a little bit of what, what, what happened uh, to start this persecution against the church, uh, like I had mentioned, there was a misunderstanding of this kiss of peace and love meal. So for a lot of the emperors, they misunderstood this and thought that the Christian church was, was committing uh, some sort of uh, uh, incest and cannibalism uh, because of they thought of this uh, love feast and kiss of peace, they thought, well, there's incest going on in this church. And they also thought of cannibalism because of the Lord's Supper. They, they, they heard of this uh, eating Christ's flesh and drinking Christ's blood. So there was that misunderstanding of the Christian church. There was a lot of mystery behind it. Uh, the Roman emperors they didn't really know what this church was, was uh, doing behind these closed doors. Uh, if you weren't baptized, you couldn't participate in the Lord's Supper. So there was a lot of mystery. There was a lot of confusion with the Roman emperors. Uh, so that was, uh, that was already something that the Roman emperors were, were being bothered by. They, they weren't very comfortable with the Christian church. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Rome really desired for everybody to do, it wasn't a law yet, it, it does become one later on, but there was a lot of emperor worship, and the Christian church would not participate in it. So 
for the majority of the, Rome, of the Roman emperors, that almost seemed like a sign of rebellion against Rome because the Christians wouldn't participate in this uh, uh, emperor worship. So those are some of the aspects as to why the persecution started. A lot, of, a lot of mystery, a lot of confusion from the emperors, and also misunderstandings of um, the Lord's Supper uh, and this, this agape meal. And because of that, the persecution started. Uh, it was very local at first, started in the city of Rome. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't, very, uh, uh, it wasn't empire, empire-wide yet, and it wasn't a law yet either. It wasn't a, a state law for, uh, for persecution of, of, the, of, the, of the early church. <clears throat> um, so basically, persecution started around 64 AD. We went through a couple of the emperors, which I really won't discuss, but we went through a couple of them and uh, some of the reactions that they had towards the church. And I really wanted to discuss... Uh, the emperors Decius and Diocletian. Like I said, there, there are two emperors that I really, uh, really wanted to discuss because of, the, of, because of the negative impact that they had towards the church. Uh, so those were, those were two of the emperors that I really wanted to discuss today before we get into some of these false teachings. Uh, but like I said, if you guys have any questions, um, you can go ahead and ask if you need to. Um, so a lot of the persecution started around 250 A.D. Like I said, uh, most of it has been just local to Rome. Uh, but by 250, now it's starting to become a lot more uh, widespread. Uh, it, uh, Emperor Decius was around the year 245 to 251 A.D. Uh, by this time, Rome had experienced attacks both internally and externally. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of rumors of of rebellion within the Roman Empire. A lot of people were unhappy with these Roman emperors. So there's already rumors of internal struggles. And you had external struggles, struggles also by the Goths, which is modern-day Poland. So by this time, there's both attacks from within and from, from the outside of Rome. And so the emperors are already they're a little bit on the edge. They're, they're, they're being cautious with what's going on within their empire. And they're keeping, eye, keeping an eye on the Goths who are trying to attack from, from, uh, from Poland. Um, so Decius comes, and he believes that what Rome needed was a good, strong, and stable leader. He need, they, uh, Rome needed a good, strong, and stable emperor. And to him, the Christians were seen as a threat. So like I had mentioned before, these Christians would not submit to sacrificing to the emperors. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't participate into any kind of, a, of a worship or sacrifice to any, kind of, uh, any other gods or deities. So Christians are already seen as a threat. They're seen as, as rebellious. They don't want to submit to the emperors. <clears throat> but, but Christianity continued to grow. So the church continues to grow even after uh, experiencing much persecution uh, and refusing to participate in emperor worship. The church continues to grow. So Decius starts an edict. And what this edict is, is uh, <clears throat> it's, in regards to the emperor, it's in regards to the emperor worship. And the purpose that Decius has and this is, like I mentioned, this is one of the main things why Decius was so, was, uh, was a huge factor at this time. Decius' is, is, uh, purpose is, is, uh, is to discredit Christianity. And towards the end of his, of his reign, he, he does a lot of damage towards the church. Uh, what he decides to do is that he demands everyone in Rome uh, to offer a sacrifice annually to the emperors. And now this is starting to become a law. So he wants everybody in Rome, every Roman citizen to, to uh, offer the sacrifice annually. If you offer the sacrifice, you would receive a certificate, which was called a labellus. Uh, you would receive a certificate 
uh, that would show that you had offered your sacrifice that year. So if a, a Roman official would ask if you if you offered your sacrifice, you had to show your certificate. For a lot of Christians, they still wouldn't uh, they still wouldn't participate in this emperor worship. So they denied um, this um, this worship, and they were uh, like we had mentioned before, they were either imprisoned or they were uh, martyred. They were killed for not participating. Uh, but as, as a result of this certificate, a lot of Christians actually apostatized. So they would they would go ahead and offer this this worship. Yes, Jay. Yeah. Uh, what it what it basically was it was it was really simple that uh, and and that was kind of the thing that Rome had is that they made it look really simple so that it wasn't very complicated, uh, but it was it was still a, an act of worship towards uh, an emperor. What you really had to do was just a pinch of incense that was offered, and all you had to do was say Caesar is Lord. That was the only that was the only requirement. So if you just offered this pinch of incense, you acknowledged that Caesar is Lord and you got a certificate. After getting their certificate, their certificate, you can go ahead and go on with your life, worship any other god that you wanted, as long as it didn't go against uh, Roman law. So, offer this incense, you say your Caesar is Lord, and then you can walk away and go worship any kind of multitude of gods that you wanted. But that was the only thing that you wanted to do, or that they required you to do. But for the Christian church, they couldn't offer the incense and they couldn't acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. They knew that only Jesus Christ was Lord. So they would not submit to the sacrifice. <clears throat> uh, and like I said, because of that, they would not receive the certificate. Uh, without the certificate, you can be either imprisoned or you can be killed. Um, in not submitting to this worship, you were seen as rebellious and a traitor towards Rome. So that would also, in, in a sense, that kind of uh, uh, supported Decius's kind of paranoia that Christianity is there to, to rebel against Rome. They're there to overthrow Rome and not have an emperor. Uh, so <clears throat> because of that, as a result, Christian, many Christians died uh, denying emperor worship. Um, and many others apostatized because of it. They, um, they went ahead and offered this, 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 uh, this incense. And um, many uh, fled from the church. Uh, there was even an account that the Bishop of Carthage fled from his church because of this uh, certificate. He didn't, he didn't want to offer the sacrifice, so he just, he just fled the church. And because of that, a lot of the members of the church fled with him. Um, others, other Christians, would actually go out and buy the certificate out, out in the streets. So there would be uh, these Roman officials who would have certificates, and they would sell them to these Christians. And these Christians would go ahead and buy it, even though they never actually offered this incense. They never attended this, this, uh, this worship, but they would go ahead and, and buy the certificate just to have proof and say that they, that they, uh, that they offered it. And this later on comes into, into a, it, 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 it's a huge factor later on uh, with some of the bishops because when persecution ends up dying afterwards, especially during the time of Constantine, uh, some of these Christians want to go back into the church. And some of these Christians would, had either offered the sacrifice to the emperor or they had bought this certificate, uh, even though they hadn't really offered this sacrifice. And a lot of the bishops were uh, divided on whether or not to allow these, allow these people to come back into the church because they, seen, they had seen them as, as apostates. So some of the bishops would actually be okay with it. They'd allow these Christians to come back. Uh, other bishops uh, wouldn't allow any of these people to come back, and they were much more... Um, much more rigid 
they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow. Whether you had offered the sacrifice or not, you weren't allowed into the, back into the church. Other bishops would, would kind of fall in the middle ground and say, you, you know, you, you can come back, but you have to show repentance. You have to do certain works, uh, you know, to show that you're really contrite about it. You know, you, you, you sinned against God, whether you offered it or you just bought the certificate. Uh, but for you to come back into the church, you had to do these things. And so, you know, there, was, there were certain churches that were okay with it, others not so much. Uh, but that was definitely, the certificate was definitely something that harmed the church during this time. Uh, I think it was Eusebius who says that the martyrs, because of the certificate, because of, of uh, Decius's edict, uh, the martyrs were in the hundreds, but the apostates were in the thousands. So there's definitely a lot more apostates than there were martyrs at this time. Um, so Decius, is, is, uh, his, his thought of discrediting Christianity is, uh, is really working now towards his favor. You know, he's showing a lot of, a lot of false converts within the church. Uh, and a lot of them are either buying their certificate or they're actually uh, participating in this emperor worship. The good thing, though, was that this edict only lasted at 251. So it was only about six years that, uh, that this edict lasted. Uh, one of, the, uh, uh, one of the, the, the church members here that actually suffered... Uh, persecution because of this was a man named Peter, and this is off of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and there's a quote here on page 22. It says, a young man, Peter, who was known for his superior qualities in his mind and body, refused to sacrifice to the goddess Venus. When told to do so in his defense, he said, I'm amazed that you sacrifice to an infamous woman. And uh, real quick, Venus was basically a Roman goddess who was, I think was... Um, was this? This was basically the, the, the Roman goddess equivalent to, um, oh, I can't remember her name, but, uh, but she was basically the goddess of victory, fertility, and prostitution. So they were offering these, this, uh, this uh, sacrifice to Venus, and this is what he says to the people who, are, who, are, who captured him. It says, I'm amazed that you sacrifice to an infamous woman whose debaucheries your own writings record, and whose life consisted of such perverted actions as your laws would punish. No, I shall offer the true God the acceptable sacrifice of praises and prayers. So here Peter is, is, is criticizing that you know, he's, being, he's being persecuted and he's, he, and he's suffering because he won't offer this worship to, to Venus. But he's saying, look, you know, all, these, all these things that she's committed is actually even against your own laws. So a lot of inconsistencies here with, with, uh, with Roman law and, and the uh, worship of their gods. So what ended up happening to Peter was he was stretched until his bones were broken, and then he was beheaded, all because he wouldn't offer the sacrifice to Venus. <clears throat> uh, so that was Decius. That was definitely a huge hit towards the church because of Decius. After Decius was Galenus, which was from 260 to 268. Galenus actually ended up helping out the church a little bit. He uh, issued an edict of toleration towards the church. So Christianity during his time was still illegal, but there was toleration towards it. So not a whole lot of persecution during his time. Uh, if you were a Christian, you know, you kind of had to be quiet about it, but it was still tolerated. Uh, uh, the persecution definitely was uh, quieted down a little bit during his time, but he only reigned for eight years. After Galenus was Diocletian. This is the last emperor I kind of wanted to talk about. And Diocletian was the worst emperor who committed persecution against the church. Uh, his time was from 284 to 305 AD. Uh, some of the things that Diocletian did before I get to... Uh, a little bit of the explanation of his uh, persecution and his edicts. Uh, some of the things that Diocletian was famous for was he established a tetrarchy. 
and, and the only reason I mention this is because that comes into play when Constantine comes into rule. Uh, and Constantine later being converted and brings peace basically to, Christian, to the Christian church. Uh, but what Diocletian does is he, he establishes the tetrarchy. So there's a lot of, like I mentioned, there's a lot of strife within Rome. Uh, a lot of uh, rumors of, of uh, rebellion. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and so Diocletian, what he does is he establishes uh, uh, the tetrarchy, which is being ruled by four. Which means being ruled by four. And what he does is that he splits the, the empire into an east and west. And so there's an Augustus in the east. There's an Augustus in the west. Diocletian remains in the east. And he kind of remains the main, the, the main leader. He's the, the main head. So even though there's four of them, Diocletian's still kind of the, the main guy. You know, he's the one that, that ultimately makes the decisions. Um, he divides the empire into east and west. And on and each uh, side, in east and west, there's an Augustus. But under them, there's kind of a lieutenant. So you can see all four of them kind of being there all together. In the west was Constantinus, which was the father of Constantine. And then in the east was Galerius which was the adopted son of Diocletian. So he's, he's, he's already dividing the empire into four. And like I made mention, it's, this, is, uh, this comes into play later on. When Constantine comes, uh, he ends up having to, to uh, uh, wage war against the other three, other three emperors. So later on, Constantine eventually becomes the sole head of Rome um, and later becomes, later becomes converted. Um, <clears throat> so Diocletian was from 284 to 305, but his persecution was from 297 to 301, uh, four years of the heaviest persecution that the church had ever experienced. Uh, and basically what, what ended up happening, and this is, this is the story that, that uh, I believe uh, Eusebius claims as to the, the, the beginning of the persecution under, under Diocletian, is that there were some uh, Christians at a pagan ceremony, and they were making the sign of a cross. So there's already a group of Christians, uh, there's a pagan ceremony, and they're making the sign of a cross. And in this uh, ceremony, the custom was that there was a priest who had to sacrifice an animal. And after sacrificing the animal, he would cut out the liver and look at the liver for certain marks on it. So if he found certain marks on the liver, that meant that there were blessings uh, from their gods. That was a divine blessing if they saw these marks on the liver. Well, he cuts out the liver from this animal, and it doesn't contain these marks. And because it doesn't have these marks, who do these... uh, who do these pagans look to blame because it doesn't have these marks? Well, they blame the Christians. They're, they're already there. They're part of the ceremony. They're, make, they're making these signs of the cross. Well, it's their fault that, we're, that this liver doesn't have these marks, and so we're not going to have these divine blessings. So they go ahead and blame the Christians. Uh, Galerius finds out about this, which is, again, is the adopted son of Diocletian. He finds out about this, and he pressured Diocletian to start persecuting the Christians. Uh, Diocletian goes, uh, go ahead, uh, goes ahead and, and gives in to Galerius, and he starts these four major edicts. Uh, the first major edict was in February of 303, and it was, uh, which is probably the most destructive one. He, he uh, commands the destruction of all churches and the Christian writings. So under, under, um, under Diocletian, we already have the destruction of many churches, and we have the destruction of Christian writings. So it's because of Diocletian. It's because of Diocletian that we don't have the original manuscripts. We don't have Paul's letters, Peter's letters, uh, because, of, um, because of Diocletian. They were all burned. Uh, but we know that there were many other manuscripts. There were copies of those originals that still uh, were preserved, and that's how we have the scriptures of today. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to go too much into scripture, at least just yet. Uh, I, 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 hopefully I can make time later on 
to describe how the New Testament canon was formed. Uh, but I'll, well, I'll kind of mention it a little bit here with one of the heretics that, that'll, that I'll mention in a little bit. Uh, in three, later on in 303, the second edict was the imprisonment of all higher clergy. So if you're a part of the presbytery or if you were a bishop of a church, you were, you were thrown in prison. Uh, the third edict was in the fall of 303. It offered amnesty to Christians if they offered the sacrifice to the Roman deity. So Diocletian is kind of giving the Christian church a chance. You know, you want to survive, you want to, you, you want to stay out of prison, you want, to, you want to remain alive, just go ahead and offer these, uh, these sacrifices. So it's going back again to these, to these emperor worships. If you just offer this pinch of incense and just say Caesar is Lord, you'll be free. You can go ahead and you can continue to worship this Christian God. You can continue to have your sacred writings and, and, and continue with this Lord's Supper and this love meal. But all you have to do is just offer this pinch of incense and say Caesar is Lord. But because they denied that, the last edict was in spring of 304. And it said that all persons were sac- must sacrifice under the penalty of death. So again, going back to that emperor worship. If you don't sacrifice, then the penalty is death. So these four major edicts were the ones that hurt the church the most during this time. And because of them, it was the heaviest persecution that they had experienced. Um, so that's, that's the last emperor that I wanted to discuss. I don't know if you guys have any comments or questions up to this point. <clears throat> uh, but that last, those last four edicts are the worst ones that the church experienced. Yes, Jason. Yeah, yeah, and, and to Rome, it was so simple. I mean, all you have to just say this, this small phrase, this offer this small incense. You know, we're not asking, you know, for, for multiple attendances, you know, to, to this emperor worship. It's just once a year. Just do this once a year, this small incense, this small phrase, and, and that's it. But, uh, you know, for the Christian church, it was, it was much more than that. I mean, it, it, was, it was a loyalty to, to, to Scripture. It was a loyalty to God, to, to Jesus Christ, that he was the only Lord. And because of that... I mean, it, just that small, that small pinch and that small phrase caused these four edicts and, the, you know, one of the heaviest persecution that the church ever had ever seen. So, uh, yeah, you know, to Rome it was so easy and small, but to the church it, it wasn't. It, it, was, uh, it was just straight-up apostasy if you did this. Uh, bishops would excommunicate you if you had attended this, uh, this, this kind of worship. So, yeah, yeah, it was definitely something that, uh, that the church had a, had a battle against. Um, <clears throat> Yes, Jay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we should definitely, you're right, we should definitely be grateful, you know, that we're going to experience that. I, I have read it. It's been a while since I've read it, but I, I know there's, there's quite a bit of information on it. I just don't have it with me. I kind of wanted to leave that with, uh, in discussing some of the uh, early, early church theologians and some of the bishops, and I kind of wanted to discuss that with, what they believed on that situation, you know, with those, uh, uh, those apostates, you know, that they, that they had to deal with. Uh, but I know there was, it was for several years that uh, a lot of the bishops were, <clears throat> were um, you know, I mean, they, they, they would go back and forth, you know, in discussion of whether or not should we let them in. Uh, what if they just committed just flat-out apostasy compared to those who just bought the certificate? Uh, and, and that was definitely something that they had to wrestle against, so... Uh, but I don't have that with me today, though. But, uh, but I, I will discuss it, though, uh, if, if, if that's okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, so so uh, even through, through, this, uh, through this persecution, uh, the Christian faith still continued to grow. The churches continued to grow. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, the believers continued to, uh, to witness to, to non-believers, even to, to, to uh, members of the, um, of the uh, 
of the Roman Empire. I mean, whether you were soldiers or, or whoever you were, I mean, they would continue to, uh, to not only witness to you, but they even try to convince them to not participate in this emperor worship. You know, so they really didn't care whether or not they were in prison. They were still going to continue to witness to others. And uh, even if that meant the, uh, being martyred or imprisoned. So they continued to grow. Uh, they continued to witness to others. Um, the Christians continued to demonstrate their love. Uh, not only for their own, for believers, but also for non-believers. They, um, they showed love towards the poor, the widows, and the orphans, and they showed love towards uh, any other believer who was imprisoned as well. They would go and visit them. Uh, <clears throat> and one thing that distinguished uh, a lot of the Christians in this, in this uh, couple of centuries, I think I mentioned it last week, uh, but was their love for believers, uh, especially after martyrdom. They, they try to preserve their bodies and, 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 and uh, find a burial place for them. Uh, they they didn't uh, they weren't too keen on uh, allowing uh, wild beasts and, and animals to in their bodies. So they kind of had that mentality that there is a resurrection. There's going to be a coming of Christ, and they wanted to preserve um, those bodies for that. Uh, there's a quote of Lancantius here from uh, in regards to this uh, to, to to preserving these bodies. It says, "We will not allow the image and creation of God to be thrown out to the wild beast." And the birds of their prey, it must be given back to the earth from which it was taken. So they had that, uh, you know, that, that, that high regards for the bodies. They knew that the resurrection was going to come uh, eventually. <clears throat> and the last thing, the persecution made the faith very public. So I think I mentioned that last time. A lot of non-believers w- would attend these uh, coliseums and these theaters where they would see persecutions of uh, of Christians. And uh, and uh, it was actually reported that a lot of non-believers were actually converted in viewing these. Uh, this uh, martyrdom of many believers. Okay, uh, <clears throat> so that's pre- that's pretty much it for the uh, emperors. Uh, these last couple of minutes, I wanted to talk a little bit, at least get to one of the Jewish heresies, uh, and then I'll I think I'll leave the the Greek heresies till next time. Um, so, like I had mentioned the last time, there's a it's, it's a two front war that the church is experiencing. One is survival from the persecution of the emperors, and the second battle is 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 against uh, theological ideas. It's a battle from literally from within the church. So many of these heretics, a lot of these a lot of these false teachers are actually coming from within the church, whether they were excommunicated or uh, or even bishops who who actually fled from the church. <clears throat> uh, there's a quote here I wanted to read from. Um, uh, Christian history, I think the book is called Christian History in Plain Language. Uh, it's in regards to false teaching. It says, heretics, in fact, serve the church in an un- unintended way. Their pioneering attempts to state the truth force the church to shape good theology, a rounded systematic statement of biblical revelation. So, uh, you know, these heretics would come along and, and try to state what they thought was true. They, they, they would try to explain and teach what they thought was biblical and true. And the church kind of had a had to look at these statements and, and, and see what they were teaching and, and really figure out, is this biblical or is this unbiblical? Is this orthodox or is this heresy? And, and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and so that's actually one of the benefits of these false teachers. So <clears throat> when I mean orthodox, I'm sure most of you guys already know, but orthodox would be uh, the, the, the good biblical sound teachings. And then heresy would be the actual opposite of that. It would be unbiblical, uh, <clears throat> unbiblical, unbiblical uh, teachings. Uh, one of these uh, heretics that I wanted to mention, uh, and I'll look into it probably next week, uh, was Marcion. He was a heretic, and one of the benefits that he had was that even though he was actually a Gnostic, but he formulated his own ideas of the, of the canon. He had his own list of scripture, what he thought was biblical, what he thought was uh, inspired, 
uh, words of God. And because of that, the church kind of had to look at his list. And then, the cho- and then the church, in response to that, formulated their own list of the New Testament canon. So, you know, he ended up, I think, uh, taking out the entire Old Testament and a lot of the epistles. And the church, you know, they, after examining it, they said, no, we need to keep the Old Testament. We need to keep these epistles besides Paul. We, you know, we, we need, we need uh, Paul's epistles and Peter's. And, you know, they added on from there. Uh, so the two main cultures that the church would witness to was the Jews and the Greeks. And because of that, uh, a lot of these people kind of had their own philosophical ideas that they brought into the church. So we can see even the Jews in the New Testament, especially in the book of Galatians. You see the battles between the Judaizers and Paul talking about uh, trying to keep circumcision, trying to keep the Old Testament laws. Uh, the same thing happened with the, with the Greeks. Uh, they had their own philosophical ideas. They had their own philosophies that they tried to bring into the church and try to mingle both Christianity and Greek philosophy and try to put them together and they have a good, uh, what they thought was a, was the true meaning of scripture, what they thought God really was. <clears throat> so real quickly, I just wanted to talk about the Ebionites. Uh, they were a Jewish heresy that existed back in the second century. They were called Ebionites according to Eusebius because Ebionites means uh, poor people. And they were called Ebionites not because they were poor, but because of their poor opinions and their poor thoughts of Christ. Uh, they denied the virgin birth. They, uh, they taught that, that, that Jesus came from a natural birth from Joseph and Mary. <clears throat> they also taught that you must obey the Old Testament laws to be saved. So there's already, you can already see some of that, that, uh, that battle that Paul had in, in the book of Galatians. They're, they're, they're teaching Old Testament laws. Uh, they're denying the um, humanity of Jesus, denying the virgin birth. Uh, <clears throat> what they taught in according in, uh uh, about Jesus was that Jesus was just a mere man, and he later became the Messiah because he obeyed the Old Testament laws, and during his baptism is, is when he became the Messiah at that time. So uh, I know that's uh, something that, that many theologians called adoptionism. And in Colossians 2.9, we can see, uh, it says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So, you know, Colossians already, is already trying to try to go against that, that whole idea that, that Jesus wasn't fully God. So he's, 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 uh, he's presented as just a man, so he's fully human. Uh, there's no problem with that, with these Ebionites, but they have a problem with him, with, with, with calling Jesus fully God. Uh, so they denied that Jesus was, um, was virgin born. Uh, they thought that he became the Messiah because of his obedience to the Old Testament law. <laughs> and, to the, and to them, Paul was an apostate. You know, Paul with his talk about grace and mercy and not having to follow the, the laws to be saved. Well, to them, to the Ebionites, Paul was an apostate. He, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't writing true inspired scripture. So they denied Paul's letters. Um, uh, and they, they denied pretty much all the epistles of the apostles. Uh, so I think the only one that they really, they really held on to in the New Testament canon was the book of Hebrews. And I'm sure that was just a, a, a misunderstood version of that. And I know in John twenty thirty one, uh, we can see that that John is also uh, trying to trying to establish uh, the deity of Christ. It says, "But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you may have li- you may have life in His name." So uh, we see in Colossians and we see in John that Jesus was 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 not only fully human, but He was fully God as well. Uh, and so so one of the earliest heresies that we see is already was already battling against the humanity of Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, not the humanity of Christ, but the deity of Christ. So they're, they're, they're okay with calling Jesus fully human. It's, you know, it's, it's the fully God that they, they were really bothered by. Uh, so that's, that's, um, 
you know, one of the first uh, battles that the church had. Uh, later on, uh, uh, as, as we look into the, into the Greek uh, false teachings, into the Greek heresies, what their problem isn't so much that Jesus was fully God, it was that Jesus was fully man. That was their problem. Uh, and so because of that, they had just so, so many weird and different ideas and trying to deny the humanity of Jesus, whether he was really physically here, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, that Jesus was just a, a, a regular man, he was just a mere man, but that Messiah aspect of him, well, that, you know, that came from heaven. You know, that, that was something separate. That's something completely different. Uh, and so later on in the, in the Greek uh, heresies, we'll see the denial of Jesus' humanity. But uh, for, for the second century, Ebionites uh, denied the complete uh, deity of Christ. So that was, uh, that was one of the first heresies that the church had to go against. Um, <clears throat> does anybody have any questions or any comments so far? Yes, Jay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and, and just and just like, you know, this this uh, this heresy has, has continued on to this day. A lot of the Greek philosophy, even though, you know, and, and I'll and I'll try to explain it uh, when we get to it. Uh, it's it's very complex. It's a, it's a lot of detail that they're, they're trying to go through so many loopholes to avoid certain certain teachings, and certain aspects uh, and, you know, we, we kind of look at it and that's just, it just sounds so ridiculous. It's so, you know, far-fetched. I mean, it's so different. It's so weird. But even some of those Greek philosophies actually still exist today. Uh, it's just a little different. It's worded a little different. Uh, but some of those thoughts and ideas kind of even, I think, exist even within Christianity. Uh, you know, we, we can fall into these, these weird understandings and, and philosophies that aren't really biblical at all. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, the, the denial of Jesus' um, deity is definitely definitely something that we battle against today so yeah uh so if there's any more uh questions or comments we'll go ahead and close in prayer <clears throat> okay let's uh let's close in prayer and uh and we'll finish off <clears throat> lord we thank you once again that we are able here to or to to hear of your word to uh, ponder, Lord, these truths, Father, and we can also look at these heresies and uh, false teachings, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to not fall into them. Uh, we pray that you would help us to um, hold Scripture as ultimate, Lord, as a, a truth, and that we would use it as um, a guide, Lord, to, to determine whether something is, is truth or whether it's false. Uh, Lord, that we may have a good biblical understanding of you, Lord, of your works, um, even of us and our nature um, of this world. Uh, Lord, help us to, to cherish your word, um, to read it, Lord, to memorize it, to even meditate on it. Uh, may not depart from us, Lord. Help us to um, <clears throat> love you even more, Lord, through it, uh, and to love one another, Lord, to continue our love towards each other as well. Bless our time today, Lord, in our worship. Help us to be Christ-centered uh, and to give you praise, Lord, above all. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.